This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode contains references to sexual assault, mental health, and suicide. Help is available. Check the show notes for details. Hi, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to the long read from Stuff. This week's story is from the Post newsroom and is called Axing Relationship Education. It's by reporter Hannah McCullum who joins me now. Hi Hannah. Kia ora. So your story explains more about the axing of some parts of those relationship education units that are done in school. So which bits are going? Uh, so it's a little bit unclear what the updated guidelines might look like, um, but it comes under the coalition agreement, part of it that's refocusing the curriculum on academic achievement rather than ideology. That's the kind of wording, and that includes removing and replacing the gender, sexuality, and relationship-based part of the education guidelines. So you've talked to some people in the story, won't give anything away about what their experiences were when they had sex education sort of some time away before it really sort of changed its focus. Do you remember back to your days in school and what your sex education was like? Was it particularly helpful? It definitely made me reflect on my time in school and looking back, I think it was pretty poor. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I learned more through conversations with friends and online, which I guess is part of the concern when things like this aren't taught properly in school. Yes, as we know, the internet is a fraught place, positive and Mm -hmm. negative. So with these changes coming in, and there are a lot of experts and commentators who are very concerned about what might flow out of these changes, is there any way at all that we can see what the results are? I think people will be keeping a close eye on things like sexual violence statistics, even though they are underreported still. I think in particular young people will continue to be really vocal about the education they're getting and the guidelines or the updated guidelines was driven by young people saying they want more education on and consent and things like gender and sexuality and so if they're not getting the kind of education they're looking for I think they'll continue to be really vocal about that. Now, here's Jen Black reading Hannah's story, Axing Relationship Education. And just a reminder, this episode refers to sexual violence and could be distressing. They would now rather teach a young child virtuous self-identity theory, (laughs) whatever that might mean. Lily Chen remembers the really awkward days in intermediate school when girls were split from the boys to learn about sex and health education. The girls would be taught about periods, while the boys would sometimes get to play sport. Chen says it was very much taboo and stigmatised. It is evident that they do consider it to be important, but it's something that's shrouded in secrecy. Her high school experience was slightly better, but only because she had a teacher who stressed the importance of LGBTQIA inclusivity in the classroom. For Chen, it gave her the baseline for how to approach knowledge around sexuality, gender, relationship and sex education, to then be able to educate herself further. 
Had she known what she knows now about consent and its nuances, that it's not just yes means yes and no means no, perhaps certain circumstances in her past could have been different. When someone doesn't necessarily say no, she says, that doesn't necessarily equate to a conservative yes. All those grey areas of consent, I feel like I missed out on. The former president of Thursdays in Black at Auckland University, a national student campaign aimed at preventing and responding to sexual violence in tertiary spaces, was concerned any progress made in sex education would be set back with the new government's agreement to repeal the Relationships and Sexuality Education Guidelines. It comes under National's coalition deal with New Zealand First, which campaigned on removing gender ideology from the curriculum, even though it was New Zealand First MP Tracy Martin who introduced the guidelines in 2020. The documents, one for years 1 to 8 and another for years 9 to 13, released by the Ministry of Education, put relationships at the front and centre of sex education for the first time since the Syllabus for Health Education was introduced in 1985. Sex education was no longer just about biological elements of sex, with consent, gender, sexual orientation and healthy relationships key components of the teaching. The guidelines were in response to what youth in Aotearoa wanted to learn more about, with a continuous demand for better consent education. In 2021, more than 100 Christchurch students took to the street to speak up against sexual violence. It led to a string of protests and student action fighting for women and LGBTQIA plus rights, as well as a survey at Christchurch Girls High School which found more than half of the 725 surveyed students had been sexually harassed. A quarter saying it had happened on 10 occasions or more. Students described being grabbed on buses, offered money to allow them to be touched, three allegations of gang rape, being assaulted and forced to touch boys. Young people were accessing ideas around gender and relationships through social media and pornography, which made education in school more paramount, University of Canterbury lecturer Dr Rachel Dixon says. If that's your only education about how to have a sexual relationship, that's a worry, and that's what's potentially continuing to drive the sexual violence statistics in our country. When relationship and sexuality education was taught well, it could help support young people critique harmful messages from their peers or online content. It could also equip them with the language and understanding to communicate and seek help when something didn't feel right, including reporting assault or advocating for their health needs, she says. Dixon was part of a team creating resources to help schools and teachers bring the current relationship and sexuality education guidelines into practice. A nationwide survey led by Dixon last year found teachers experienced significant barriers to teaching relationship and sexuality education, RSE, including a lack of time and the subject not being prioritised in schools. She says, We know from research that RSE is not meeting the needs of young people, so we do run the risk of this government action creating yet another barrier. We've seen calls for better consent education and we need to understand toxic masculinity and gendered roles in society. The guidelines supported safe and inclusive practices, but were not mandatory and required biannual community consultation, Dixon says. Parents could also opt their children out if they wished to do so. It's a completely flexible approach. Dixon says the concern appears to be around gender ideology, and within that, the fact that we recognise that gender is not just a binary concept. 
but it only pointed to a small part of learning about gender. To say gender and gender ideology is a problem in those guidelines, she says, is barking up the wrong tree. Gender is all around us. We can't avoid it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The repealing of the guidelines concerned Tabby Beasley, Managing Director of National Charity Inside Out, particularly for the mental well-being of people in the rainbow community. Schools had already been asking for more support, but the organisation had an increase in inquiries after the coalition agreement was announced. More than half of the 1,178 respondents to a landmark survey counting ourselves in 2018 had considered suicide in the last 12 months and 12% had made an attempt. Educating youth to accept diversity and difference was an important form of preventing bullying and suicide, Besley says. It had a positive impact on young rainbow people who were at high risk of negative mental health because it taught them they're not alone and that who they are is okay. There was a vocal minority of concerned parents who thought teaching children about rainbow identities would make their children part of the community. But that's not how it works, Besley says. They're going to be that way. It doesn't matter if it's taught or not. The guidelines had already been through a robust consultation, and Besley hoped the new government would engage with young people throughout the process when creating the new guidelines. She says, so many young people will have rainbow people in their family, local communities, We can't just completely invisibilise or ignore that we exist and that we're here. Co-founder of Let's Talk Consent, Jenna Hawkins-Bolton, says repealing the guidelines was disappointing and confusing. It does feel like a massive step backwards to all the progress that was in the making. Hawkins-Bolton gathered anonymously experiences of youth sexual violence and their perspective on consent education in Aotearoa in May 2022. She says one of the most concerning findings from 300 testimonies was how schools were responding to reports of sexual violence. Abuse victims were not being supported by their schools. Only two students who reported sexual violence to their school led to the alleged abuser being expelled. Of which, one case took three to four years and only after multiple students claimed they were abused. A further 13% said they did not receive any support after reporting their experiences. It also found academic achievement was severely compromised in an environment where consent culture was not promoted. Hawkins Bolton says it's hard to watch three men come into power and repeal and backtrack all of our progress that is trying to tackle rape culture. And by tackling rape culture, we're tackling gender inequity as well. It really does send the damaging message that youth voices aren't valued, and I think that is heartbreaking. Seeking out more information was important for Chen as a queer woman of colour. It allowed her to realise that incidents of sexual violence had a gendered pattern, contextualised by systems of power and fuelled and enabled by rape culture. 
her demographic was disproportionately affected by sexual violence. Last year's New Zealand Crime and Victim Survey found about 35% of women and 12% of men had experienced sexual assault in their lifetime. The proportion of those who experienced sexual assault was high in young people, with 18% of teenagers aged 15 to 19 stating they had already been a victim of sexual assault. Overall, half of all people with diverse sexualities were victims of crime, significantly higher than the average of 29%. However, it's believed just 8% of all sexual assaults are reported. Chen believes she would have benefited from having the language and understanding she has now to make more informed decisions about relationships. She says, when you omit queerness or addressing cultural competency, many kids are missing out. When relationship and sexuality education returns to its regressive, traditionalist roots, you run the risk of missing out the diversity that the world actually is. Both Hawkins Bolton and Beasley shared the concern that the energy and resource would be put into resisting any regression of the progress that had been made instead of furthering the well-being of diverse young people and promoting the upskilling of teachers to spread consent culture. Beasley says it's about making what has been put in the coalition agreements as least harmful as possible, rather than progressing our rights further, which is really disheartening. She didn't see much hope in the new government uplifting and promoting the safety of rainbow people, particularly with another coalition agreement targeting gender in sports and the halt on hate speech reform, something that transgender people have been particularly subjected to with the violent targeting of the community seen this year. But there was something about facing setbacks that could be activating for the community, she says. We're in a place where we've never had such good protection and visibility, so the people who don't like that are going to make a noise. But that's not going to stop us from being who we are and being louder and continuing to fight for those protections and that well-being and equity we deserve. Even though it's a scary time, that's because we're in the best place we have been, in many regards. That was Axing Relationship Education on the Long Read from Stuff, written by Hannah McCullum, read and produced by Jim Black and edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, and that's available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. The story was made possible by subscribers to The Post. If you want to support more beautifully told New Zealand stories, go to thepost.co.nz. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.